everyone. Welcome to Talking in Tongues. So glad you're checking out this podcast. As you know, our mission is to engage a broader, deeper Christian spirituality through the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. And this month we are focused on really the Paschal mystery, life, death, and resurrection, and what that looks like through Holy Week and this whole season of the Christian calendar, focusing on Christ and his atoning work. But before we jump into that, sitting here with Bethany, my co-host, and you've got some awesome family news, huge life update. Can you tell everybody what's going on? Yeah, we do. So for the past few years, my husband's been working on a PhD and he defended his dissertation this week. So he is officially a doctor, which is super, super exciting. And uh, so we've, we've just been a crazy, crazy season getting that all wrapped up, but we're really, really excited about that. And, and the dissertation that he, I just find this so amazing. And it's probably beyond every person that's listening to this, but in some sense, it's like theoretical energy, something or other. I know you've been along the ride for the last seven years. Could you give us like a 30 second snippet for the layman out there? What is this PhD in? Yeah, so he actually afterwards will be a computational physicist. It's a mixture between uh, mechanical engineering and physics, and they're studying fusion. And so he's been working on the theory end of it, more of the computer programming, studying it from the theory side than the experimental side. But yeah, that's what he's been doing. And I don't fully understand it either. I helped him edit some of his papers. And um, man, I'll tell you, I can pick out grammar, but <laughs> not much beyond that. So it, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a lot of fun though. It's so cool. I, I know talking with your husband a few months back by now, he was saying that, you know, the this theoretical energy source that they're tapping into could eventually power like a whole city completely green with like the size of basically like a little BB once they harness this energy. So, so thankful that there's brilliant people out there like your husband working on solutions for humanity. So yeah, our podcast is not going to be all that complicated today though. Bethany, can you tell us a little bit about our guests? We had such a great conversation. Yeah, so our guest on the podcast today is Randall Worley. Uh, Randall's an author, speaker, leadership consultant, and a life coach. Um, he's traveled the world speaking in conferences, seminars, and schools for the past 40 years, inspiring his audiences to think progressively about the role of the kingdom of God in the world. And in this month's podcast, um, we're going to be talking with him about curiosity. We're going to talk to him about coming to God with our questions, the Paschal mystery, and as you mentioned earlier, the power of the resurrection at work in our lives. Yeah, I heard Randall speak probably 15 years ago by now. I was just really drawn in, I think, by the way that he frames things. I, I love words. I stumble over my own quite a bit. But when I hear somebody that really can articulate something and not just leave you with an answer, but uh, give you a better question. And that's what I found in Randall, whether it's you know him preaching from a stage or a conversation over the phone. Every time I get done talking with him or listening to him talk, um, I walk away with better questions, and I think you will too today. So we're going to hop into our podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Jared. It's a, it's a really a joy uh, to be with you uh, and to just to talk about some of these themes that right now, at least when we're recording this, 
are very relevant as we are in the season of Lent. And um, yeah, I've I just, I've really looked forward all day long to this conversation. So good. Randall, uh, starting things off, can you tell us a little bit of your story, a little bit of your background, maybe the denomination you grew up as a part of, or your, your background in church or your life story for, for viewers who don't know you? Can you give us a little bit of your story? Yeah, I can, I can do a flyover. Um, I've been in ministry for almost 44 years, and I was brought up in a what I would refer to as a classical Pentecostal environment, um, which I have deep appreciation for that heritage and what I learned during that time of my spiritual formation. And I guess it was probably in my 30s that I began, or no, honestly, I would think maybe early 20s, I was pastoring at the time and uh, had lived in somewhat of a cloistered community, especially as it relates to diverse uh, theological views. And I uh, have always, even till now, after all these years, I still have this insatiable curiosity. Um, and I hope it stays with me for the rest of my life. And uh, quite often I have people, once they discover what my background is or was, and the tra trajectory that I've taken over the last four decades, the obvious question is, how did you get from there to where you are now. And my response has always been the same. Uh, somewhere along the line, I feel that I was given the grace to have a greater faith to receive revelation than a fear of being deceived. And I don't mean that in, when I say revelation, I know that that could be interpreted by a lot of people as being very esoteric in its tone. Um, but this, this curiosity that I had uh, first of all, started within, and then the supplemental material began, I began to discover uh, in authors that my particular tribe had never referenced. Uh, again, it was a very cloistered community, and I don't mean that in a condescending or critical way. And, and so I've been on that journey now for um, over 40 years. Right now, uh, i I am still very much involved with various charismatic streams and some uh, somewhat with the liturgical church. Uh, I've, I've grown to have an intense appreciation for uh, the early church fathers and then some of the more contemporary authors that have awakened me uh, to the value of understanding um, those men and women that were in close proximity uh, to the apostles, uh, the, the eyewitnesses of, of Christ in his life. And their insights have expanded my consciousness significantly. Uh, so there, you know, I could, I could spend quite a bit of time here if we had it just talking about that journey, uh, but that I think that probably sums it up as well as I can. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the things that I 
am so impressed by you, I think, is that continual desire to evolve, if you will, or grow or be open to the things of the Holy Spirit, which I don't think should be as controversial, but I know I've faced my fair share of that. And I, I'm sure you have as well. And it's through that, that I have discovered that God actually takes some of those tension points and, and draws us closer to himself. And, and kind of on that note, as we're in Lent right now and approaching Easter, one of the themes that uh, theologians pull out is this idea of the Paschal mystery, that, that the very cycle of life is that of life and death and resurrection. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. I mean, you've experienced, like you said, you've been on this journey for a while now. Um, you've been able to uh, move, expand your horizons. What is that Paschal mystery, that theme of life and death and resurrection? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I think, first of all, you know, the, the phrase, the Paschal mystery, as I understand it, was coined by Augustine. And, uh, and I, I really believe that those two words condensed in a very concise way um, a, a, a huge amount of truth. Uh, the, the word mystery has always been fascinating to me uh, because many people like the word myth. Uh, grossly misunderstand its meaning. Um, there are at least 20 different mysteries that I'm familiar with that are referenced in scripture specifically. And of course, the paramount mystery <clears throat> is found in Paul's letter to Timothy when he says, great is the mystery of godliness that God was made manifest in the flesh, or in our terminology, the incarnation. I believe second to that, that second to that particular mystery is what he refers to in Colossians. He says, there is a mystery that has been hid from the ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to the saints, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So in my opinion, the two great greatest mysteries of all mysteries is first of all, the incarnation, the archetypal of our incarnation, uh, the prototype, so to speak, of our incarnation. Secondarily, this great mystery that we is continuing to unfold that has to do with understanding Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so when, when we're talking about um, the Paschal mystery, especially during this particular season, our thoughts turn toward the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and uh, in the last several years, I have come to the place where I don't see the death of Jesus on the cross as some sort of uh, required quid pro quo transaction, but that it's really the revelation of how we ourselves personally experience tra transformation. Um, some writers refer to this as the cruciform reality um, that for many years, my understanding of the cross was primarily that he died to appease a vengeful father for our sin. And I don't subscribe to that in, in, any longer because I see that Paul makes it very clear, for example, in Galatians 2.20, that the death of Jesus was not just merely the death of one man. I'm not minimizing the work of the cross, but the death of Jesus was not just the death of one man, but the death of Jesus was the death of all men. 
that Jesus didn't just die for me, but, but he died as me. And, and Paul, in his brilliance, sums it up in Galatians 2.20 when he says, For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. I think we frustrate the grace of God in our lives when we don't understand that, again, the death of Jesus was not just the death of one man, but the death of all men. Jesus would put it this way in John. He would say, um, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And John said he spoke this signifying what kind of death that he would die. And so when I look back at the Paschal mystery, the, the cross itself, I realize that the mystery of the cross is saying that the true pattern of transformation has always been death transformed. Mm -hmm. And of course, the word death is the word that we usually equate with the cessation of life. Um, when somebody's, you know, the the, the EMTs can no longer find any vital signs with an individual and the pronouncement is made that the person is dead. And, and I'm, you know, I'm not minimizing the reality of that, but death from in, from the very beginning in Genesis has been more than just the cessation of life. Death has always primarily been about separation. That's why Paul would say, that uh, when he dies, he said, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell in his uh, recounting of his out-of-body experience in 2 Corinthians. But he, he also says that, uh, that this has to do with a separation. Um, you know, sometimes we, we use that euphemistically when we're talking about uh, a relationship that has died. It doesn't necessarily mean, mean that the person has died, but there's been a death to the relationship. So again, to me, the, the mystery of the cross has to do with a pattern of transformation. Death and life are essentially two sides of one coin. You can't have one without the other. So that's, again, why I believe Augustine coined this phrase, the Paschal mystery. Mm. And, and right now, I hope I'm not talking too much. Uh, but, but right now, I think that one of the most salient questions that I'm encountering with people is what is, what is the wisdom for what matters right now? With everything that's going on is the world is in such upheaval. Well, for me, for me, it's the Paschal mystery. It's the passion, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. Mm. And so uh, I, I never un fully understood this years ago when I was reading Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, uh, when he referred to the cross as being the wisdom of God. Uh, and it seems like that Paul is talking about an alternative wisdom or possibly even a subversive type of wisdom. Uh, I mean, if you'll allow me, I've got it pulled up here on my iPad. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 17 through 21, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross 
is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? He is he has God made foolishness, the wisdom of the world for since, and I'm almost done with this reading for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach, which is the cross to save those who believe. So I do believe it's an alternative, even uh, somewhat of a subversive type of wisdom that, that Jesus is introducing us to. And then Paul further elucidates on it in 1 Corinthians 1 and uh, other parts of his, his uh, brilliant uh, writings as well. You know, Jesus made a statement, I'm sure, that very possibly when it was first heard, absolutely stupefied his audience. You know, he said the one it's, it's paradoxical. He says the one who would save his life or her life will lose it. And the one who is willing to lose it will save it. I mean, every thing about the mystery of the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ is wrapped up mm. in that particular truth. If we see that the inhumane, um, horrific death of Jesus on the cross, as we will go, you know, to the gospel narratives here in the next several days to read about. If we see that as only happening to one man, and he did it to appease God, or as I think I've already mentioned, that, that Jesus did not die to change God's mind about us, but to change our mind about God. Because Paul would say that the only place where alienation exists is in our own mind. And so that's, I think that's what's happening um, as we visit these rich narratives again and mm -hmm. again, uh, approaching the celebration of resurrection. Yeah. Um, you know, death in any form for most people as, is seen as a, a great enemy, really. I mean, we, we construct most of our lives to avoid it, delay it, deny it. And, and it seems that we're not ready to die until we really tr we tr truly learned how to live. Here in, the, here in the Carolinas, where I live, and if, if my my voice sounds a bit muffled, it's be, simply because, you know, my wife and I today, we spent a good portion of the afternoon hosing off our back porch because it's yellow with pollen. Everything has got a, you know, heavy coat of pollen on it. And uh, I mean, this is not a new experience for us. It happens every spring. You know, here we are on this, today's the second day of spring or, or the third. Anyway, at any, at any rate. Um, you know, if nature was God's original language, and I believe it is, creation is his original language, then we see the cycle of death, burial, and resurrection happening all around us. The cycle is there, you know, it's built into the seasons. And so, you know, I'm looking out here at these trees that were 
once gray, you know, they look like skeletons silhouetted against the sky. And in the last few weeks, they've begun to bud and flower. And so this, you know, even if I didn't have a Bible, this in itself is heralding the process, the cycle of death, burial, and resurrection. I, I really think that's in many ways what Jesus meant when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if we, we can begin to watch as nature goes through its stages, coming back to life in the spring, and we move down the scale, so to speak, we see the same thing applying in our own lives. You know, because Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. It remains a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. So, uh, I mean, I, I know probably my answer was more involved than you bargained for, but. <laughs> no, it's, it's so good. I think, you know, for our listeners, what you what you just did, I think masterfully there was expand our horizon of what the atonement is. I know, like you said, growing up uh, in the church, I really nearly exclusively looked at the cross as a transaction between um, the father and the son. And as I started looking back into church history, I started to see all of these other themes that you're talking about, like Christus Victor, this idea that it's through the person of Christ that God overcomes the powers of darkness. And this idea of moral exemplar that you're saying that Christ is our example and that he is not just a moral example, but it's through his resurrection that a new way of living is born. And I, I think we so quickly pass over that for um, safe, quick transaction type answers. So I, I love what you did there, expanding our horizons. And this is really what's interesting is that most of the, the church, you know, when you talk global church, doesn't view the atonement as we do in the West in this like you said, retributive kind of uh, uh, transactionary thing. I think about Athanasius's line where he says that the son of God became man so that man might become the son of God. And when I read that, that That's sounds true. like heresy to me. I mean, I'm like, I'm not allowed to think like that. Like, what is he saying? Right. And yet here he is. And when I read Athanasius on the incarnation, you know, his great book, uh, there's a newer version C.S. Lewis wrote a forward for So everybody's got to read it. If C.S. Lewis put his name on it, it's, it's orthodox. Right. And of course, Athanasius, one of the, the fathers of the, of the faith, as I, I read through that book, I started crying. I came upstairs, told my wife, I said, where was this book when I was asking questions about the death of Christ? And amazingly, yep. there's not one mention of this kind of transaction type of, you know, um, uh, whatever motif. And I, you know, I don't want to negate the possibility of, of uh, substitution and such, but I think the way that we read the, the penal, the punitive side of what you're talking about as not only um, a thing, but the only thing and this essential thing to the point where God is really, his character is controlled on the basis of what his son does. And it kind of splits the Trinity into some weird ways and Really, we see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this beautiful 
reconcile and work. So Randall, I loved it. I could listen to you for an hour on that. And he's like, when you said that in John, if I be lifted up, I draw all men to myself. I mean, this is just so the, the good news of what God does through the Paschal mystery is so much better than um, a quick equation to secure someone eternal rights to a, a disembodied afterlife. I mean, this is this is everything. God's making all things new. Yeah, and I think probably the, one of the many reasons why that makes it uh, difficult for people to accept it's not very palatable is because we live in a meritocracy, we live in a democracy, we live in a transact transactional culture uh, where if I uh, do what is required, uh, then I get the, you know, the recompense for it, you know, and uh, when the kingdom of God is not a meritocracy, it's not a democracy. The kingdom of God has always been a grace culture. It's an economy of grace uh, that has nothing to do with what I do or don't deserve. You know, I think that's what I'm in this season of my life where I'm finding comfort in mystery. I think I've let go of a lot of the cheap certitudes to yep. at least be willing to open myself up. I mean, if all of heaven is circling around some mysterious throne singing, holy, 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 it's, it's a little weird that, uh, you know, a 33 year old guy in upstate New York is going to have all the answers. I think you hit the nail on the head with this. Yep mystery thing we should it should provoke some sort of some awe yeah yeah I, I i love a statement made by alexander pope uh he says that uh, most people never really learn anything because they seem to understand everything too soon and um that that really summed it up for me uh that we're we're not comfortable with mystery we our default setting is certitude. You know, we, we, we want to be sure about everything. And I, I don't think that is possible and living a life of faith because to me, and this is not original to me by any means, the opposite of faith is not so much unbelief as much as it, as it is certainty. And I, for one, after all these years, I've said this so many times, but it continues to be true. I have more questions now than I've ever had in all of my life. And I, I've, I'm learning to delight in discovering that I've been wrong about some things because what that means is I'm still learning. Hmm. It means I'm still learning. See, I, I think in Western Christianity in particular, uh, one of the mistakes that has been made is thinking that Jesus and even the writings of the apostles were, have, were preserved and given to us to teach us what to think. And so what happens, there's a lot of uh, dogmatism that comes out of that. Um, and as I have in the last several years looked with fresh eyes, in particular, the teachings of Jesus, I've come to discover that he never intended to come to, to teach people what to think, but how to think. 
you know, uh, I used to hear this growing up from my elders, a man who is convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Hmm. And I don't, I don't feel in the teaching of Jesus and his interaction with, with groups of people or with individuals, I don't feel that he is trying to convert them or coerce them. He's, he's not trying to get them, you know, he, he gives them openly this invitation, follow me, you know, and I believe that one of the many reasons why that he taught in parables is to allow people to wrestle with their questions. Um, you know, I, uh, heard a podcast, uh, quite a number of years ago. It was an interview done with, um, an esteemed rabbi from, uh, one of the most, uh, prestigious rabbinical schools in, in New York city. I don't remember that man's name or the rabbinical school, but, um, he pointed out in the Jewish tradition uh, that whenever you have two rabbis, there's at least three opinions. And I thought that was humorous and so true at the same time. And, um, you know, he even, he even pointed out that, that we as Christians really have not never learned to argue well. Uh, because usually when Christians are arguing, uh, it is, you know, it's a, it's a very polemic experience. It, it's, it's very, can get very hostile because the, the motivation is to pin you to the mat and to prove that you are wrong, that you've always been wrong. Uh, this is not true in, in the Eastern mind. This is not true in the Jewish community among rabbis. When they are engaged uh, passionately in what we would see to be argumentative in nature, he said that they actually view that as being an act of worship. When I first heard him said, say that, because listen, my understanding of worship was something far different than that. Then he went on to elaborate. He says, because when we're engaged like that and we're bantering and we're volleying back and forth, <clears throat> we believe that God perceives that as worship because we are looking for answers. We're looking for answers. We, uh, we are, uh, well, the way I would put it is that we're, we're demonstrating intelligent humility, which you don't find that much these days. You know, we don't have as much detail in the gospels as, as I would prefer, but I wonder sometimes if at the end of the day, as you know, Jesus has been teaching, uh, you know, performing miracles. They've stopped along the road somewhere. Uh, they've built a fire. They've had dinner. Jesus has already drifted off to sleep. And these bewildered disciples are wide awake. 
and they're looking at each other with a blank stare on their face, waiting for somebody to break the awkward silence and say, did anybody understand what he said today? <laughs> I don't think that's a stretch. You know, I yeah. think that must have been the kind of exchange that took place between them. Yeah, I think it's so good. I think, unfortunately, most of what we see is often almost a, a fear of that questioning or um, a theology or an ideology that feels threatened by that. Uh, you push too far and it's, it, mm, I don't know, you know, I don't know how to answer those questions or people kind of clam up. Um, but I love the idea of, of going back and forth. And when you see it done really well and that exchange of ideas and the bouncing of those ideas off of each other, I think it can be so incredible um, and, and really push other people to that. Like you talked about all the way at the very beginning of the discussion, this insatiable curiosity. And as we talk about Easter, as we talk about the mystery of this, as we talk about like, this is what we know, this is what we believe. And this is the part of this. That's just like, it just blows your mind. Right. And there has to be that element and we have to allow for that element and having those questions to be able to, um, to ask them and to dig deeper and to look further, um, I think is a lifelong journey. As you've said, it's, it's not something that we just like come to this point of, well, this is where I was and this is where I am. And now I've got it all figured out. Like, I love the, I love the fact that it is a journey that we're all on this path together of what is this? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for the world around me? How does this fit into my life and what I'm seeing around me? Um, and I just love that. I love the picture that you've painted there. And I really appreciate that too. I know we've um, read some of your stuff in preparation for this interview um, and just your willingness to say, hey, this is what I've seen. This is where I'm at. This is what I've dug into. And these are the questions I'm left with. And God's okay with that. Like, it's, it's okay to, to ask these questions. And people need to feel like it's okay to ask those questions because he's given us a brain to do it. Like, dig in exactly. a little bit deeper. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just, exactly. I really appreciate that. And I think, I think as we look at Easter, it can be really easy, especially for those of us who grew up in the church to just look at it as the thing we know about, right? It's the crux of, of everything we believe and we know all there is to know about it. Um, but to just sit back and say, no, there's so much about this I don't really fully understand. Or maybe there's a depth here that I haven't explored yet. And to allow him to speak into that, to give the Holy Spirit that, that preference, that position to be able to say, here's what I'm saying to you new now today. Um, yeah, and I yeah. think that's just so cool. Yeah, I, you know, a man by the name of Einstein, whose name is synonymous with genius, said the only thing that ever hindered his learning was his education. Mm. And he placed great value on curiosity. You know, our educational system, as well as the parochial system, you know, the, the teaching of and discipling of people is is really more based on all right here is the codified information here's what we respect as being incontrovertible and so we teach that to you in an attempt to disciple you and it's almost like as i mentioned you know the educational system they don't want to teach you how to think <clears throat> they want to teach you what to think so that you can regurgitate the answers that they want. But there really is, when we're talking about mystery, 
there really is a sacredness in questioning everything. Hmm. There's a sacredness in it. God, God is not offended by our questions. He knows we have them. But we, what we learn to do is to go along and to get along by suppressing those questions for fear, I believe, of being labeled as an outlier or even worse, a proverbial heretic. Yeah, just to jump in there, I think, I think what's so helpful for me in this, in this process is when I look at the early church, I see, and I'm talking about more like the patristic age, I yeah. see such a breadth of diversity and, you know, uh, Catholics do a far better job, I think, than evangelicals and, and the majority of Protestants in that they have room for different orders of, you know, the Franciscans or the Dominicans, and they're able to kind of look at different charisms. Whereas, and I think evangelical Protestantism is really um, just like in bed with this absolutism that we have in our culture where, you know, when you talk about politics or something, it's right or left. And, and if you are in the middle, you know, you better choose a side quick. Somebody's yeah. going to push you over because that's there's no more controversial stance in life than to see both things and to appreciate something. Right. And I think when you start to see, uh, I think the ability to receive um, in the reformed world, I'm not necessarily reformed, but in the reformed world, they, they would use the phrase common grace. You know, mm-hmm. you're talking about wisdom. I mean, we would be like a Jehovah witness that didn't want a blood transfusion if we couldn't see the grace of God in something that's not dictated through scripture. And I think we do get into this um, kind of elevated biblicism, expecting the Bible to speak to anything and everything, when ultimately the scripture's primary purpose is the Paschal mystery to bring us to the person of Christ, to bring us into who he is in that cycle of life, death, and resurrection. Thanks so much for listening to today's conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Today's hosts, Jared Ruddy and Bethany Miller. Our music, Holy Roller by Kevin Bertram. For more information about Randall Worley, check out the show notes. Go to talkingintongues.org or even check out randallworley.com. Thanks so much.